morning. If you will, uh, open up God's glorious word to Psalm 119 this morning. Yeah, 119. Now the original Hebrew, uh, Psalm 119, is an acrostic poem. There are 22 stanzas, and every stanza has eight verses in it. Uh, Every verse in the first stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Uh, And every stanza after that does the exact same thing, only with the next letter until you get to the very end. Uh, Every summer we are doing a little bit more of Psalm 119. It would be a very long psalm and we'd miss a a great deal. Plus we just love to come back to this theme of of this love for God's word over and over again. And so uh, this year, this morning, we'll be doing... Uh, the letters Mem and Nun. Uh, and so in the Hebrew, the first eight verses that we're going to read today, it's 97 in your Bible in case you're wondering, 119, verse 97. Uh, the first eight verses begin with the letter Mem, and the next eight verses would begin with the letter Nun. We're going to read it in English for obvious reasons this morning. Um, so follow along as I read beginning in verse 97. <clears throat> oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your pre- through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, enlighten our minds this morning. Take away how tired we are. Help us to focus despite the heat in this room this morning. Remind us that your word is sweeter than honey. Remind us that we need your word like food. It is to be eaten together. It is to be eaten as individuals. It is to be feasted upon as a covenant family together. Lord, give us joy to be in your word together this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When reflecting on the, the Psalms, C.S. Lewis had this to say. He said he, he couldn't understand the psalmist, right? He couldn't understand that, I mean, on one sense he said he, he could understand that the psalmist would respect a good law. He, he could understand how the psalmist would desire to obey a good law. But, but he simply could not understand when he first came to the Psalms how the psalmist could love any law. He couldn't understand how the psalmist could actually delight in any law no matter how good. Uh, Lewis goes on then to compare loving the law to loving the instruments by which a dentist rips out teeth. Um, Maybe 
to put it in this perspective, we understand, maybe you feel the same way, right? You think about the speed limit. You respect it. You try to obey it. But I doubt I'm ever going to wander through your house and hear any of you singing out loud, oh, how I love the speed limit, right? It's just nothing we're going to do. Now, now Lewis goes on to explain that, that the law of God means more than just rules. It means the promises of God. It includes the warnings and judgments. It includes the blessings and, and so much more. And, and yet here in Psalm 119, what we actually see is the psalmist's focus not on the promises of God here, but actually on the commandments of God as well. He goes into that. He indeed does love these things. And, and, and yes, he delights in every aspect of God's law, Right? All that we call the scriptures, the Bible, whatever other terms that mean this collection of, of God's word. Um, this book is of absolute utmost importance to the psalmist. Back in verse 32, it's been a few years now, but you might remember he declared that God's word is better than gold and silver. And I know we throw it out there, we just, you just say it, right? Yeah, it's better than gold and silver. And, and yet when it really comes down to it, right? If, if, if you were told that you could be incredibly wealthy, Elon Musk wealthy for the rest of your life, but, but you, you would never get to read, you'd never get to hear, you would no longer have any memory of God's word, would you take that deal? The psalmist here knows he'd prefer God's word even over Elon Musk's wealth. In verse 97, we, we see his love for God's word has led him to constant intake of God's love. We know that the things we love, we, we intake, whether we're talking music or TV shows or other books or food, whatever it might be, the things we love, we want to intake constantly. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. If we were being honest, how would your actual practice be worded in verse one there? Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation a few minutes on most mornings, or something like that. I, I don't know what it is for you, maybe. I mean, how would you finish the sentence yourself? Which raises this question for us, doesn't it? A question within our hearts, a question of whether, whether we have a, a true, genuine, passionate affection for God's word. Like, truly, I mean, wherever we are right now in our relationship to, to God's word and that, I, what does it look like? I, I, in these moments of, of conviction, right, we're, we're quick to say things like, oh, yeah, I should read my Bible more. I absolutely should. And I think we really mean that. And that's part of our struggle, isn't it? That we think, oh, I really want to, and this is the week I'm going to do it. And, and, and that would be important. I, I think I should do that. But I should read the scriptures, and I desire to read the scriptures are two very, very different things, aren't they? Just like a, a husband saying, I... I should have more conversations with my wife. It's very different from my desire to converse with my, my wife more. One is driven from this guilt of, you know, what it would be for a good husband to do it. The other is uh, driven by this delight, by this love. And, and it's similar in the way we approach Scripture. Now, the rest of this first stanza might be helpful for us because as the unnamed psalmist gives reasons here, he's giving reasons for why he delights in God's law. Not just that he does, but why he does. And some of that can, can stir us up towards it as well. The, the, the first of those reasons we're going to see in verses 98 through 100. If you got in front of you, look at it, right? Because, because God's word is a source of wisdom. Okay, That's one of the reasons that he loves God's word. In verse 98, he states that wisdom makes him wiser than his enemies. 
Now, the point here is not that Scripture has given him uh, these strategies, right, to outsmart his enemies and therefore defeat him in that, in that way, but rather, rather the whole point is that his enemies have actually rebelled against God, rebelled against God's law, and, and that it's absolutely foolish, and, and that his, his life coming into submission to God's law, God's word, shows him to be far wiser than these enemies of his. He, he also states that God's law is ever with them. It's a Right? Uh, it's as he stated way back in verse 11. That would have been what? 2014, 15? So I don't expect you to remember from the preaching, but uh, you will know this verse most likely, many of you. I have stored up your word in my heart, right? That, that's what he said there, that he might not sin against the Lord. He, he, he's memorized portion, uh, portions of God's word. Uh, and, and sometimes I, I, I wonder, you know, if, if I were suddenly stranded on an island, and I know that's unlikely, um, and maybe that's why we struggle with this. We can't think of the situation where we'd get into this. But, but if I were stranded on an island, how much scripture would I actually remember? How, how much of this, this spiritual nectar that the Lord has given to his people would be readily available to me still? Or would I just be cut off from it? Have, have we as, as Christians in, in this era that we live in today, have we become too content to have God's word stored up in our devices instead of stored up in our own hearts? Yes, we can get God's word before our eyes with a few taps on a screen. It's incredibly convenient. It's, that is a wonderful perk of, of the world we live in today. But is it, is it here in your heart, right? Is it, is it in your mind ready to be put to, to use and encouraging you to be patient when, when your flesh is, is leading you to be quick to anger or whatever other things that, that the Lord's word is going to be calling us to. You know, having access to Advil is, is not what takes away the headache. I don't know how many times I'll have a headache and just say, I know it's down the hall, but it's no good to me there. It must be consumed. It must be within us working in that way. Now, in, in the verse before, the, the psalmist says he's, he's meditating on God's word all the day. All the day, right? Th- this is the age of scrolls, and I don't mean scrolls like this. I'm talking big scrolls like that. Uh, th- this is the era we're talking about him, and so he's not, he's not like with his scroll while feeding animals and, and trying to hunt things and, and, and things of that nature. Clearly, he has indeed himself memorized the scriptures, and, and, and currently, we are, we are just terrible at memorizing things in this era. I, I don't know how the younger generation memorizes anything. I, I think back to my own childhood. I, I knew a dozen of my friends' phone numbers by heart. I could spit it out. Tell you the movie theater, all, all kinds of things. Today, I know two phone numbers. I know my own, and I mostly know Laura's number. Uh, you can throw 911. I know 911, so three of them. Uh, some of you that went to K-State, you probably know Pizza Shuttle's number. It kind of got stuck in your head. Uh, you don't need to memorize your friend's phone numbers, right? But we do need to know more of God's word. There are incredible apps that we can use today that will help us towards that. Uh, you, you can screenshot a verse, make it the, the uh, lock screen on your, your phone, and, and so you're reading it as, as often as possible. You know, force yourself to do that. Uh, you can write it out, put it next to the mirror, put it next to your computer screen, wherever you're going to see it often, and just find yourself reading it, trying to, trying to hide this in, in your heart, right? And and you don't have to start with all of John 15, right? You don't need these huge swaths of it. It's great. If you're up for it, go for it. But uh, small portions can do wonders for us. 
Just to start small and begin to hide the, Lord, the, the word of the God in our heart in small ways. Things like, like Psalm 8.1, right? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's such a small thing. But, but to have that rolling through your head during the day. To be able to meditate on that. Not just when it's sitting in front of you in the morning or the evening or whenever you really sit down to do that. But, but all the day long that you're, you've got that rolling through your head. And listen, I... I know, you, you still know every word to that song you loved 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You can sing it today like it's nothing. And, and if you're like me, I, I, I have accidentally memorized at least one, maybe a few Taylor Swift songs over the years. And so certainly we, we can memorize the 13 words in Psalm 8.1 or whatever else that we're looking to memorize and, and how much more profitable or how much actually profitable it is to us. It's a matter of whether we're, we're willing to, to really pursue that. I, I think we all want to have a bunch memorized. I don't think we want to do the hard work to know God's word like that. Um, and so he's wiser than his enemies. And then in verse 99 he says that he has more understanding than all his teachers. You teachers probably don't appreciate this. Um, you, you've probably heard students in a swell of hubris state something pretty close to that, right? So is the psalmist being arrogant here? Is he insulting his teachers here? Um, it, w- what's the heart of this? And, and here's the heart of it. It's, it's not boasting in his own brilliance. He's not boasting that his teachers are all morons that don't know anything like that. Uh, he's not even knocking their intellect at all. Rather, he's boasting in the word of God and he's expressing that that's where my devotion is. That's where, where there is wisdom to, to, to be had. And his reason, right, for, uh, for having more understanding then is that he meditates on God's testimony, his word. Now, generally, your teachers, your professors are brilliant in their field. Your philosophy professor is going to know his philosophy very well. Your biochemistry professor is going to know his biochemistry well. But they will not truly understand the world we live in. They will not truly understand the purposes of the lives we are are living if they do not know God through his word. And those are two different things. You can be the most brilliant person on the planet. And, and, And if you don't understand God and his word, if you don't understand the grace of Christ, no matter how brilliant you really are, genuinely are, you're lacking in, in your understanding of the world we live in. And, and so the psalmist is wiser than his enemies and his teachers. And, and then in verse 100, uh, right, he, he goes after the gray heads. He goes after his elders. He's wanting to get his mouth washed out right here, uh, saying, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. His point is not that there is nothing to learn from elders, older people, that they have gained all sorts of actual life knowledge uh, from experience that is good, but, but the wisdom of God goes far beyond anything that, that we can learn merely by experience. Now, someone who has walked in the scriptures, right, walked with the Lord for, into, into old age, there's a great wisdom there for sure. But his whole contrast here is the aged who have not dwelled in the scriptures with the, age, with the young who have, and, and that's far better. Now, now listen, the, the knowledge of every generation, it is constantly out of date and changing. And you know this, right? How many of you have some mad T9 texting skills that you have nothing to do with them anymore? Some of you, I don't even know what T9 is. Uh, right? Pluto? Did you hear about Pluto? It's not a planet anymore? It's messed up. 
Uh, and don't you dare say Brontosaurus. I don't know if you know that. Uh, it is now the Opatosaurus, and its tail doesn't drag on the ground like it did in the old days. I know this is disappointing to you people that grew up with the, the Brontosaurus. Uh, Czechoslovakia, I learned how to spell that as a kid. It's not even a nation today. Uh, we are supposed to avoid which? Carbs? Carbs or fat? Which is the bad one? Uh, babies. I don't know how many times this is switched. Put them on their stomach, put them on their back, put them on their stomach, put them on their backs. Uh, 60 years ago, cigarettes were being advertised as doctor approved. These were some good things, right? Clear out your lungs with some healthy smoke. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we were being encouraged to drink Dr. Pepper at 10 a.m., at 2 p.m., uh, and at 4 p.m., right? This is the healthy thing to do. Make sure you go and try to get diabetes as quick as you can every single day. Uh, Right? Sounds fantastic, but we know it's not healthy. General knowledge, so much knowledge is, is changing all the time, but the knowledge of God, the wisdom gained from the scriptures is as solid today as, as when this presumably young man wrote Psalm 119 thousands of years ago. They're not the same. They're not in competition with each other. But, but this is the knowledge that your soul needs. This is the knowledge you, you need to live well. In verse 101, we learn the second reason the psalmist loves God's law. It, it keeps him on the path of God's righteousness. Uh, or as John Bunyan said, and I actually have this written in my Bible. It's been here for years. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. That juxtaposition, I think, is the right word. Um, the Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures renewing, illuminating, recalibrating us, both to believe the gospel, to bring us, you know, to, to renew that, what we do believe, and, and to live in obedience to God. In, in verse 102, then, we, we learn that he loves God's word because through it, God teaches him. He's acknowledging that, that, that these are not just the words of a, some old guys wrote down back in the day. I mean, um, they are that, right? But that's not what they are ultimately. They are God's words. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is a work at work in you believers. As much as I am encouraged by, by books by John Calvin and John Piper, by Dane Ortland and Hannah Anderson, and you know, there is nothing more amazing than this book. Nothing more amazing here where it is, it is God who is teaching us, right? Original sources, straight from the Lord. Now, the fourth and, and final reason that he loves God's word is that it is sweet to his taste. taste. You might have seen there were honey sticks back there that we gave out. I uh, just wanted you to be able to taste honey, you know, recently. You didn't get what you want one? There you go. Oh, come on, Knox. All right, so, right, to remind you just how sweet honey is. And, and yet, I don't know that we can get our minds around that statement today. For, for one, honey was incredibly rare back then. Um, you, you think of how often you've actually come across honey in your life, right? I mean, like the honey bees, the source of it. And I don't mean the, the boxes that we see in farmer's yards and urban hipsters and people related to John um, you know, that kind of thing. I, I mean in trees or natural places, brick walls and stuff like that. Our, uh, when we were driving to camp a couple of weeks ago, we thought we were early. We were actually behind. But we thought we were earlier, and we saw this old abandoned, like, store and thought, well, let's just stop and explore it. Uh, we tried to convince George it was the new camp location. He didn't buy it. 
Uh, in, in one of the walls, though, something I don't see often, there was actually a, a honey hive, honeybees in and out of this little wall. We tried to convince someone to go get us honey. No one took us up on it. Um, but, but you think back to your life, how often you've actually come across just honey in, in the wild. Now, honey was a, a rare luxury. And, and unlike our diet today, it would have been one of the few truly sweet things that the psalmist ever consumed. Now, I, I admit I have absolutely fallen off the wagon, uh, but a while back I had cut sugar out of my, my diet completely. I, I went through all those drug-like withdrawal symptoms, headaches and fatigue and grumpiness, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, the oddest side effect from it, and I was told this was happening, I didn't believe it, I kind of believed it, I didn't really believe it, but, but when I quit sugar is, is when, I, when I introduced um, fruit back into my diet, right? I remember taking a bite out of a strawberry and thinking, that tastes like candy. I cannot believe that's a strawberry. And, and I'm thinking, my mother-in-law sprinkles sugar on top of her strawberries because they're not sweet enough. That's, that's kind of where we've gotten to. And it was just unbelievable how sweet it was. I, and all fruit was just delightful to eat during that time. I, here's the thing. Do, do, you, do you ever think of the scriptures as sweet? Do you think of it as a, a treat and I get to open up God's word, and it's just sweet to my soul. Now, I can't help but, but wonder, right, even if in this sugar thing, if there's not some analogy here, right? The, the reason fruit doesn't taste like candy to us today is that we are just swimming in a sea of processed sugar. And, and sure, candy, ice cream, brownies, but also like everything, ketchup, 25% sugar, and you'd never know it. It's, it's everywhere. And this is not me reaming on sugar, though I'll probably do that if you want me to. Uh, it, is, it is just this reality that it has actually dulled our taste to when we taste sugar in natural forms. And, and so that even honey doesn't taste as sweet as it really is. It really is. And this just has me wondering, has, has our taste for God's word been dulled? Right? It's so many other books, so much entertainment, so much trivial consumption of cat memes and 45 second video clips and just so much worldliness that we invite into our lives that, that the word of God doesn't taste as sweet to us anymore. Have we lost the taste for the sweetness of God's word because we have glutted ourselves on, on this processed worldliness around us? And so what, what would it look like for you to detox? Or even cut back, right, from so much other consumption. What would it look like for, for me to do that? What would it look like, what would it taste like if instead of uh, filling our hearts with so many other things, if we filled them with something truly, truly beautiful with the sweetness of, of these words that the Lord has given us? You know, and, and maybe you have no desire for God's word, no, no appetite for it. If so, you, you can admit that, truly. You, you can admit that out loud to any of us here. You can admit that to the Lord in prayer. That, that even is a starting place. That's a starting place. And, and so if you desire, right, even desire to desire God's word, uh, begin by first earnestly asking God through prayer that he would give you an appetite, that he'd give you a craving for this. Ask for it. And the second thing is begin to read even short bits of Scripture. Sometimes we, we get motivated. We're like, oh, I should read more Scripture. So I'm going to read all of Leviticus this week. And you're like, I don't think I want to keep going after the week. Uh, right? It, it's start. Just, just begin to read. Read some of the Psalms. Go read in the book of John. 
uh, meditate on a line or two, turn it over in your head, ask yourself, what does this mean? What is the Lord teaching me through his word here? Um, right? Learn, learn to just taste the word. Do. When, when, when I cut out all the processed sugar out of my diet, I was just, I was actually shocked how much healthy food began to taste good to me. No, it doesn't right now. But I know that that's possible. That at some point you're like, I don't want this. And you're like, I actually like this. This is pretty good. Uh, the Lord can change our taste. So just because you don't have a, a strong appetite for the word right now doesn't mean the Lord's not going to do that for you. You're not going to give you one. Um, so, so move, act, begin to read, spend time in his word. Uh, now let's look at verse 104. It's, it's interesting that he began this stanza by declaring what he loves, God's law, and then he ends it here by declaring what he hates. I hate every false way. Right? Do we hate false ways? Do we even think about false ways? Do, do you hate paths that lead us away from the grace of Christ and the gospel and, and lead us into sin in our lives? Right? Do we just think of like, oh, I shouldn't do that? Or do we actually begin to think, I, I hate that path. I, I hate that way that it's led me to that. You, you see, a, a genuine love for God's word will teach us to hate every false path. And, and so then in this stanza, right, we, we learn that as followers of Jesus who are indwelled, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Christians, we, we can and should be hiding the Lord's, the Lord's word in our hearts, and, and they will make us wise. They will lead us in godly paths. And of course, we, we learn that God's word is not a burden, but a sweet delight. It is a treat for you as God's children. Now let's, let's have a look at the next stanza, and we're going to move to this one a little quicker today. Um, so, so wisdom literature, right, in, in the, uh, the canon, the scriptures, the w- wisdom lit- literature, which the Psalms are, are often, often compare our lives to a path. And that's one of those things that's kind of made its way just in general culture, right? It, we talk about life as a path, a journey, something like that. Now, the first stanza here, the first verse, rather, in this stanza is one of the most well-known verses in all the scriptures. Uh, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or if you remember the old King James, it'd be unto, I think, right? Um, now, again, at camp last week, I, I got up in the middle of the night to, to use the restroom, and I found the cabin was absolutely pitch black, and I thought, oh, I remember what this place looks like. I'll be fine just walking through here. And it, it didn't take long before I bumped into one of those giant crash cans, and then I, I knocked over a broom that someone had been using for their stand-up comedy routine earlier in the evening, um, and, and then I go to go around this, this hall, it's like a doorway, I think, and I'm almost certain I'm at the right spot, so I'm going a pretty good thing, but I kind of catch it halfway, and, and my face knocking into the side of, of the doorway. Um, likely, you have similar stories in your life. For some reason, we all get up at night, we walk through places, whether indoor, outdoors, we're stepping on Legos, bumping into things. Um, we have these stories. We know what it's like to try to navigate anything in, in, in darkness, that, that we ultimately are, are walking in blindness, right? If we, if we walk through, through life also without the illumination of God's word, we are walking in darkness. And, and that means disasters that are far worse than smashing your face against a, uh, you know, a cabin wall. Now, the, the part of this verse that, I, the first part we're all very familiar with, or maybe not all, most of us are familiar with, uh, but the part we might have overlooked before is how it assumes that the world that we walk through is, in fact, dark. Dark. After all, lamps are for darkness. I doubt many of you go into Target and you break out your big, you know, flashlights. I'm just looking around here. No, because there's like 8 million lumens coming down from the top of that store. Right? So, so we need the illumination 
uh, of the scriptures as we walk through this dark world to, to show us what is evil, to show us what is right and good and holy. And, and, we, and we need it little by little. You think of a lamp, that's not the same as, as the sun, right? That's not the same as, as whatever these four incredibly bright LED lights are. It's, it's not like that. I got this dot in my eye now just from looking at them. Um, Okay, that, that's the way, just little by little, that we've got the word, that we walk with it to give us the next step, the next step. Uh, then in verses 106, 107, we see the degree of commitment that he has made to bring his life into conformity with God's word. He is, he, he is also confirming that, that he has suffered. We, we see that in the psalmist. We've seen it in the past in this, in this chapter. He, he's also uh, turned to the Bible, and he's found God present in these pages. Verse 108 shows us this connection between willing worship and a, a life of faithfulness to the Lord. I'm um, kind of moving quick here. Verse 109, he's saying at this time his life is always in danger. There is a real danger, a physical danger uh, here, of course. He is indeed talking about that, but he also makes reference to a danger that is far greater than any physical danger that we might face, right? Uh, far more concerning than any physical suffering. There, there are spiritual dangers like forgetting God, or forsaking God, or blaming God and running away from Him. Uh, dangers like running to, to idols and hoping they will satisfy us. That, that's why he, he says, right, but, right, there's that, that contrast, but I do not forget your law. All this suffering, God, but I do not forget your law. He's confessing, yeah, I'm suffering, I'm in danger all the time. But God, I will not forsake you. I will not let the suffering drive me away from you. And I will remember your word. And through it, I will draw near to you. What about you? I mean, what do I mean? Are you prepared for suffering in your life? That it will drive you to the Lord and not angrily away from the Lord. Do you, do you understand even the danger of <clears throat> abandoning God's word? And I, I don't know that we do, not, not fully, not to the degree we could and should. And one evidence I, I would say for this is, is the prayer requests we make or the prayers we, we share, right? You, you know the prayer requests we hear most, and this is not a knock on it, right? Have to do with health, with job searches or keeping jobs, things like that. Sickness, passing difficult tests that are coming up, uh, someone else's salvation maybe. And, and these are all great. We should pray like that, continue to share these things. They're, they are wonderful, truly, I mean that. Um, but, but as James Montgomery Boyce asks, he says, where are the prayers that we be kept from sin? That we or those close to us might become more godly, that we might be able to live better for God or get to know God better. It really just means the, the vulnerability that we, we also share prayers like that. Now, I'll say we, we do, in fact, hear those. I, I love to hear them, even at the, uh, the men's group this week. It was kind of humorously done, but... But there was a prayer request for the, the taming of the tongue in a situation that was coming up. And it was, it was genuine. It was great to hear someone ask for that. I'm going to struggle in this area. Will you pray for me? Now, and let's not neglect to, to pray for spiritual dangers as well as physical dangers that we face in this fallen world. Now, in, in, in verse 11, he makes clear that his heritage, his possession of greatest value, right, is, is God's word himself, uh, itself, is God himself, the these words of, are the joy of his heart. We hear that so much from him, it feels a little redundant. Um, and, and all this brings us to our last verse today. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Forever and to the end, right? I am, I am 
brokenhearted, I will say this, at, at this point in my life, in my 40s, by, by how many Christians that I know and knew earlier on in my life in their high school and college years that were passionate for the Lord and, and have seen them become maybe not truly apathetic, but just it's somewhere further down their list of passion and loves and, and pursuits. They, they've kind of fallen into such um, just American dream type values. And, and, and it raises this question, you know, why, why do we lose our taste for honey? Why do we become content to, to walk in darkness? Why, why do we fail or begin to fail to just delight in, in the Lord and his word in the ways that maybe we used to? And, and here the, the psalmist we see has made this serious commitment to live more and more in accordance with God's words because he delights in them. Right? We, we know this is not some, oh, God won't love me if I don't, but because he delights in the Lord, he delights in his word, and he longs to come to it. Again, listen to what he says. He says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, incline's not really in our, our vocab, is it? We, we kind of know what it means. Um, right? It's this, it's this commitment that you really are going to pursue something, make it a priority in, in your life. When, when, when our daughters were, were little, um, Sadie Piper had wanted to learn how to ride a bike, and she was so grumpy that we kind of just left her alone that day. We're like, we'll do this another day because you're grumpy. Um, and, and we went inside, and she was still outside on her bike, and we looked out the window, and, and she became so determined she was going to learn how to ride her bike that day. And she's dragging it up this hill and riding it down and wrecking, and we're watching her, so we're ready to go to the ER when we need to uh, through the window. And, and you can just see the determination, like she had inclined her heart. I am going to learn how to ride this bike. It is a priority to me in this, at this time. Right? That, that's the idea of inclining. Now, now, I've been exploring the idea of doing this, this just try triathlon they have in town. And I'm like, maybe I'll do it. And I like run a little, swim a little. I'm like, I don't know. I'll just wait and see. And I'm putting it off and I'm putting it off and there's no real commitment. I'm not committed to it in, in any way. And, and that's, that is not inclining our heart. And I wonder which of those really reflect the way that, that we come to God's word, that we pursue it. Do I, do I really want to find myself loving God's word, seeking to apply it to my life? Or is it like, I don't know, maybe. Unless it's, I mean, I'll try that a little bit. I'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, which is the way we do that, right? Do we, do we care at all? And again, I'm not pointing the finger here. There are too many days in my life that if I really get to the heart of it, I, I don't incline my heart to obey God's word. I'm not trying to do it anything otherwise. It's just not inclined. It's not that passionate pursuit that should reflect the heart of someone who's desiring to follow the Lord. Um, and, and shame is not what will feel you. It won't. Not for very long. Um, that's not what's going to drive us to incline our heart to, to, to obedience. So, you know, where, wherever you find yourself today, you, you must remember that, that God is, is for you. Like, that God is, is, is with you. Remember that the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, is, it wasn't because you were so holy and you're so amazing. You're really killing it, you know. It, it was because, indeed, you are not holy. We are not holy and we need a savior. And so Christian, remember that. Remember that by grace through faith you are united to Christ. You, you are declared holy. Right? That's your official stance. 
In the, in the face of the Lord. You are declared holy. Your salvation is secured. You are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You have capacity to delight in God's word and God's ways. You, you know, God is at work in your life, and, and, and there's more, right? It is for your joy, it is for his glory that he empowers and calls us to this, this new way of life. And then we're going to be driven to that from, from time in his word. We really will. Um, it, it is for your good that he gives these words, which are sweet like honey. And so remember, right, true wisdom, it, it goes beyond just amassing intellectual knowledge, even intellectual knowledge about, about the scriptures. True wisdom is applying biblical knowledge in a life-changing way. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. Today or tomorrow, I want you to read through these again. Just read through these 16 verses. It's not much. I want you to be thinking, you know, how do I apply this in a life-changing way? And I want you to especially consider that last verse. In the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Will, will you, and we can get specific, right? Will you, Johns, they covered half of you, you know. Will you, Ben, Christine, will you, whatever your name is, right? Will you incline your heart to faithfully follow Jesus? forever to the end. Incline your heart to be in his word, to seek him there, to learn wisdom in that way, to delight and to live out these words to the very end. As we age, all of us, right, into our our teenage years, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, may our affections not grow dull, but may may we grow to be more in love with God, more passionate about Jesus, more overjoyed at the grace of the gospel and to see others trust the Lord as well. And and may God's word be always, always sweet to our taste. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is sweeter than honey. Your word is a lamp to our feet. Lord, we confess our opinion of your word doesn't always match those descriptions. So we're asking, Lord, I'm asking on on behalf of everyone here, renew us, or begin this, right? Renew us, Lord. Make us, make the honey taste sweet again. Enlighten the path that we are walking. Give us a renewed love for your word and a genuine delight to spend our time meditating upon such goodness. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.